This is Rhyming Excuses, Season 2, Episode 6, live from Dragon's Keep. Wait, I need the sign. Where's the sign? Monkey noises. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about endings. Oh, oh, that's right. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we are apparently not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm late to the okay. party. Because, because Howard flubbed that one, we're going to make him go first. Howard, what is your philosophy on endings? Every ending is actually a beginning. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, I oh, told man. you no, you so were going to regret. We, we oh, don't man. want to know your philosophy on greeting cards. <laughs> <laughs> My philosophy on endings is that the ending needs to tie everything up with the bow, except for those glaring, loose pieces of string that are not in the bow that okay. you're going to tie up later. Okay. Dan, should all endings tie everything up with a bow? They shouldn't tie everything up. Um, I, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that endings should be kind of sad in addition to being kind of happy. I think that every ending ought to have an element of happiness in it somewhere, unless you're writing a tragedy, but it ought to be sad as well. Maybe okay. that's because I'm a horror writer. Well, okay. I, I agree. I, I agree too, actually. I like, I like my characters to keep on living. Now, the thing in people's heads, like after the story's done, the thing is we have to look at this from the perspective of Howard is always going to write another story about the Schlock Mercenary Gang. I have to keep going. Yeah, you have to keep going. When I finish a book, I don't always know if I'm going to be writing a sequel. Elantris, I'd like to someday. I don't know. So I want there to be some little loose ends that allow the, the, the characters to keep on living so that people can imagine what goes on with their lives. I don't want to tie everything up, but at the same time, I really like a whiz-bang ending that just kind of punches you in the face. Um, and say, So you say, I didn't see that coming, but it was so awesome that it's just wonderful. Uh, is that the ending ending, or is that the, the, you know, the last reveal in Act 3? I'm, I'm talking about the climactic ending followed by denouement. Okay. Um, all, all of that together. My denouements are really, are really short. Um, okay. I tend to do um, maybe one chapter that really feels like a half chapter, a really short, if there's any extra explanation I need to do or any seg into the next book, um, just zip, there we go, and we're out. So my endings are just a big avalanche followed by a taking, a, taking a, a deep breath, and then we're done. Yeah, see, when I, when I wrap something up at, at the end, I, the, the denouement, I, uh, I'll keep milking it for jokes until I know what's going in the next book. <laughs> So, yeah, so some of those can kind of just keep on. Oh yeah, they can. Yeah. They can keep going. Sometimes they're quite short. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they're far more violent than the whole rest of the book was. Um, but uh, yeah, mostly I I milk it until I know what I'm doing next. Dan, philosophy on endings. You have one. Um, well, I think you said something really important when you said that it should be a, a whiz bang ending that they don't see coming. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked about that in when we talk about plot twists in the past. But it it really should be something that they that the reader loves but that the reader didn't expect yeah that's it, the best ending he, you can think of here's the thing about endings surprisingly it's the last part of the book that people will read <laughs> um so really what it's going to do is it's going that's going to be the last flavor of the book that people keep and i think that honestly a lot of people particularly i think that um, a lot of movies do this skimp a little bit on their endings um, and, and books do it too. They'll work really hard on the beginning and the middle. They'll keep you really interested. And then that ending comes and it's just a little bit of a letdown after how good the middle was. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. For me, my philosophy on endings is it better be cool because the ending is the, my favorite part of a movie or book and it will make or break it for me. If the ending isn't good, it will undermine everything that's come before. 
If the ending is really, really good, the it ending will is definitely it. what sells me on the next book. Yeah. If the ending of the first book isn't good, uh, whether or not the next book is by uh, is in the same series, yeah. the next book by that author, probably not going to pick it up if I didn't like the ending. Well, and here, here's a good example of this. We, we've kind of talked smack about Hellboy two quite a bit, and, yes. and, and which is bad because I, I really liked it. But I, I thought the ending really fell down for me, and part mm -hmm. of the reason was there's a big twist at the end of the final battle that I saw coming a mile away, and so that whole final battle fell completely flat for me because I was just waiting for it to get over so we could get to that twist at the end. Yeah. And that has colored my perception of the entire rest of the movie, which was invariably you know, superior to the ending. I think this happens to Shyamalan a lot um, because he's depend, come to depend so much on his endings and he's built up his endings so much and then they tend to not, none of them have been as good as his early ones, particularly mm -hmm. The Sixth Sense. I liked Unbreakable a lot, too. Yeah. Um, but I think his endings since those two have not been as good. And because of that, the ending falls flat. People walk out of the movie saying that was a terrible movie. When if you look at The Village, The Village is a brilliant movie, I think. I think it has awesome directing, awesome performances from the characters, um, wonderful storytelling with a really kind of pathetic ending. And because of that, I think a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouths about the movie. So I guess what I'm, I'm getting on here I think it's possible to focus on the ending too much, right? Oh, if you try, if you oversell the ending, and that's what Shyamalan suffers from, yeah. is, is an overselling of that big Act Three reveal. Right. Uh, you you oversell it, and the it's very unlikely that your movie or your book or whatever yeah. is going to live up to that. Um, I think that uh, rather than rather than overselling the ending. Um, Focus on making the book really, really yeah. interesting, yeah. and then with your ending, you don't have to have a big reveal necessarily, and you unless you're Shyamalan. You, you don't have to. You know, one thing I want to like. Okay, um, I, can I say, say unless this you're Shyamalan, because, yeah. unless, <laughs> yeah. unless the movie studio is marketing you as yeah. Shyamalan, right? Which is the problem he has right now. I can say this because I'm an English major. All right, not because I've won Romantic Times Awards, but I really like Jane Austen's books, okay? They are not surprising at all. There's, particularly since now I've read them so many times, but even, even if I were to read a new one, you know what's going to happen. You know what's coming, but they work. Mm -hmm. They work just fine. There is no Act 3 redefine the nature of the book. Um, so if you're really, if you can't pull off that really big twist ending, that's fine. You don't have to. When I say the ending can ruin a book for me, I think more often it's if you're trying too hard and not pulling it off. So how can you not try too hard? How can you not try too hard? Yeah. Maybe this is something... Okay, we're going to do a commercial break. Let's do a commercial break. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by Geek at Play Studio, where you're the creator. Okay, great. Do you have a website? www.geekatplay.com Okay. Okay. Um, we just did a break so that people could get pizza. So our crowd is now full of food, so they can't even actually answer to your little cards anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try that one again. Um, but I asked a question, how do you keep from trying too hard? Um, I'm going to answer my own question. I think that the way to do this is to give your books to alpha readers, have writing groups. We talked about that last week. Learn what you're good at doing. And if you're not good at endings, and or if you don't want to have a big super surprised ending, realize you don't have to. You don't have to be anyone else other than who you are. You can write a really good book without a super huge explosive surprise ending. Exactly. As long as it's satisfying. Fulfill your promises. 
And so if you're making the wrong promises, you'll have an unsatisfactory ending. Well, and that's what I meant at the beginning of the yeah. podcast when I said tie it all up with a bow. Yeah. The things that you foreshadowed, you need to go ahead and explore. If you planned on leaving something as a loose end, it needs to not be the biggest, most scariest, you know, gun hanging on the wall in the book because yeah. people are going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Now, you were going to say something, Dan? I... I wanted to, to talk about uh, how some, sometimes when, you, when you're trying to get an ending to work, you, you and, and now I can't even remember how I was going to phrase this, but I was going to talk about the ending of Lord of the Rings, or, or rather the climax with Frodo and, and the ring there, yeah. which is, in my opinion, one of the best endings. Yeah. And it's because it is fulfilling all of the expectations of the story, but breaking all the expectations of the formula. Exactly. You yeah. get to the end of that story and you expect Frodo to do exactly what we've been waiting for him to do for three books. And instead, he it's does spoilers. exactly what the ring has been wanting him to do. I mean, right. he, he falls. He fails he in the fails. quest. He fails, fails in the quest. Fulfilled the fabulous yeah. ending. But it yeah. fulfilled the promises of the book perfectly. I think that's how to surprise is... To not do what people expect, yet say, at the same time fulfill the promises you've been, you've been building in the book. Well, and most of the time when, when you are breaking the promises you make, it's because you're trying to follow an external guide too closely. Yeah. Your characters are making choices based on your plot outline or based on a genre formula rather mm -hmm. than based on who they are. Yeah. So just let them be who they are. And more often than not, your ending is going to feel not only more real but more surprising because people so are expecting you to follow about letting the formula. characters drive it. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> Why? With your because the author. <laughs> I was going to say. Well, the author likes to think that he or she is in charge of the book, but if you're really writing character-driven fiction, then by the time you get to Act Three, these characters have their own voices. They have their own uh, their own desires. Their own. They all believe themselves to be the hero of their own story. Right. And whatever outline you may have created, if it doesn't take this into account. If you stick to your outline, it's going to feel forced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stick to your outline, you're going to be leaving bits out. Yeah. Uh, it's, you, you, have to, you have to work very, very carefully. You have to be willing to rewrite the outline. Um, yeah. I, character, for me at least, is always more important than fulfilling the outline. Now, I don't let my, char my characters, I don't think, like, they don't do things I don't want them to. But that's because I think I'm flexible enough to keep it changing. But do they do things fit. that you weren't yeah. expecting? They do all the okay. time. Okay, see, that's yeah. that's really what yeah. I'm driving at. Yeah. I had uh, a couple of good friends of ours, Bob Defendi and Dan Willis, over to my place uh, this last weekend, and I told them, um, "I need you to help me outline Act Three of Schlock Mercenary Book Ten. Yeah. Um, I have I've written the first two acts. I already have a really good idea of where the major plot arc goes." but I need you to help me gather up all of the little plot ribbons here and there so that we can decide which ones go into the bow. And as I, I should have brought this up during our writing group's podcast because this is one of the few times yeah. I've been in a writing group where they read the whole thing yeah. and then they helped me suggest, oh, here, this needs to be tied up. This needs to be tied up. If you're planning on doing this, then if you add this to it, it makes it more powerful. Now, we spent about six hours. We spent a whole day as a writing group just on my stuff, which was very luxurious for me. But yeah. as a writing exercise, it was invaluable. And I think uh, the Longshoreman of the Apocalypse book is going to end up with the tightest, most powerful ending of any of the books I've written yet. Yeah. You know, saying some of these things might be surprising for people because I have said before, I usually come up with my endings first, and I do. I can't start a book until I know I've got a really good ending in my head. It's just how I work. 
I have to be writing toward it. Um, the thing is, you always have to be willing to toss that really cool ending that you came up with yes. out the window if you come up with something even cooler. Um, and, that's, and, and sometimes you'll be writing characters and the ending doesn't fit and you have to stop and change where you're going. I always do have my ending in mind when I start, but I don't always end up with the ending that I started with. Um, and See, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, I know that I have to have a good ending before I can start the book, and I'll noodle a couple of ideas and then think, you know what, I'm probably smart enough to pull out a good ending. <laughs> I'm ready to begin the plot from this point. And it's, yeah. it's exhilarating and, and frightening, and, and sometimes I've pulled it off, and I think sometimes I haven't. Um, if you kind of want to see how I do this, I would suggest maybe grabbing Warbreaker on the book I posted online. Grab the, grab so the wait, first you're suggesting I actually read something that you've yeah, written? Well, I meant the you was the group of people listening. Oh, okay. It was the, the royal you. No, no, the royal, yeah, the royal you, I suppose. Um, I, um, I posted the first draft and the sixth draft. And the ending I was writing for, um, I actually posted chapters as I was writing the book. Um, and so you can actually get chapters that were pointing at a slightly different ending. Um, if you just read the original chapters I posted, and if you read the first draft, you'll see that I kind of ended up at one place, and the, there were points in the ending that were just broken, that just didn't work. They were from the outline, and I had to be willing to just rewrite them. And so yeah. by the time you get to um, the sixth draft, you can see the things I've fixed. You know, I've changed some things dramatically. Other things have remained exactly the same, because they worked. They were perfect for the character. They came out exactly as I wanted them to. We, we were good. But some of the things I just had to completely throw out the window. Dan, do you have your endings first in your head? I have, I have tried to force myself to do that because my earlier books had horrible endings. And you, having known me and been in writing groups, you can attest that my early endings yeah. were terrible. Yeah. And so I've had to force myself to come up with a really good ending first and then write toward it. That's what I'm doing right now for book three is figuring out how it's going to end. Oh. <laughs> did you, um, you, did you do that for book two? I did do that for book two, and it's worked really well. Um, it's the first book that I've written that I consider to be good that uh, I didn't have to rewrite the ending five times. Okay. Even book one that I sold, I rewrote the ending to that one about five times yeah. to make it work. Yeah, and I was involved, and I, I saw the process, and you did. Um, the second book, did you change anything about the ending as you were writing through, or did you hit its nail on um, what you started with? With which one? With book two. With book two? Yeah. Um, I, I had to go back. I, the, the ending worked perfectly for me. Mm -hmm. uh, what I did in the, the second draft of that book was all changing the middle section so that the ending worked a little okay. better. And that is something you can do. Um, Retroactive, Retroactive foreshadowing. foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. and if your characters don't fit your ending, either your ending needs to change or sometimes your characters do need to change. Sometimes your characters will take on this great big life of their own and they'll start going directions and you'll realize that's brilliant, but this is completely wrong for the book. I need to take who that character's become, set them aside, use them in another book later on when they can really shine and go back to the original concept for this character and see if I can, I can take it in a different direction. Um, but we are out of time on this podcast. Um, final words final on words. endings. Yeah. Final words on endings. Uh, you know, per our discussion with Moshe last season, um, if your ending isn't good, but the rest of your book is fantastic, your editor can help you fix yeah, it. That's and true. it's okay, you'll still be able to sell yeah. the story. Yeah. If your ending isn't good when the book goes to print, you've just killed your career. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. that's... We, yep. we, we need a writing prompt. Oh, we do need a so, writing prompt. So here's a writing prompt, okay? Um, take whatever you're working on right now, look at the ending that you've got planned, and then think of 
two other potential endings for that same thing. And so, write all three of them. And write all three of them. Okay. And then put them on the uh, collector's edition of the DVD? <laughs> yes. Exactly. This has been Writing Excuses. Thanks for listening. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.